0: Well, the whole point is uh, to have fun and to and to uh, give the league a little bit of a of a personal flavor and get to know people, right? So, yeah. at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. So, hey, uh, welcome to the GM's Corner. This is a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put other BBA GMs in the hot seat and try to extract all the fantastic secrets they have about how to uh, run their baseball franchises. My name is Ron Collins. I'm the general manager of everyone's favorite team in the entire league, the Yellow Springs Nine. And today it is my absolute pleasure. I'm so stoked to have Fred Holmes here with me. Fred is the general manager of the Mexico City Aztecs, and uh, I've done my homework, so I've looked it up. I know he's been at the helm of this franchise since 2016, which means like an amazing 18 seasons of baseball that he's been able to bring to the league. Uh, so welcome, Fred. Thanks for spending your time here this evening.
1: Thanks for having me on. Uh, let's not get too carried away, calling it 18 amazing amazing seasons. I think I've had maybe six amazing seasons in my, uh, my time at the helm here, so don't over don't oversell me too much well, i
0: don't know in my massive research i've got you down for seven post seasons in a landis appearance so that's a oh, I'll that's take a it. nice little resume i will take it Nothing like an eighth postseason in a second. Yeah, Landis yeah, and
1: Landis though, victory right? would be nice too. The franchise never had one. Uh, I felt really good uh, the year we made it, but uh, ran into the buzz saw that was Las Vegas that year, and
0: you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's not uh, spend any time <laughs> talking about the value of Landis victories because you know
1: it's a meaningless counting stat, right? <laughs> I,
0: I have, yeah, it's a meaningless counting stat. As I do uh, would would disagree, and and I, I will say I'm beginning to uh, sprout a allergy to yeah. Jacksonville, but that's life. So anyway, rather than focusing on the past, we're sitting here basically the end of May, 2034. Lots of really interesting things going on in the league. I mean, everywhere you look, there's a story. What are, what are the things that you're focusing on right now that you find are most uh, interesting about about? I think this the first thing for time? me is
1: Long Beach. I mean, just league wide. Like if you look at his record, I know I'm I'm pretty surprised by it. Just with uh, kind of the bad luck luck he's had with some of his young stars uh, going in the toilet pretty early in their careers. Vegas is is another one the other way that's been a little upside down he's actually only got two wins on me and we have the same number of losses already I never thought I'd be anywhere near as good as Vegas <laughs> this year but here we are those are kind of the two uh, the two major ones for me um San Antonio's over 500 that's kind of surprising I'm not surprised about where guys like Rockville and uh and Havana are at this point New Orleans always finds a way to be competitive but I think Long Beach is the biggest surprise for me in the in this season so far
0: what are you thinking about things around players? I mean, it was it's interesting to see the Ricardo Diaz's and the Billy Chapel Jr.'s kind of falling out at the same time, and then you've got the Bobby Lynch's yeah. coming up. I don't and... think we've
1: seen the last of Diaz, though. I wouldn't write him off. Ted uh, Ted would probably uh, he'd probably hide in a corner and cry for quite a while if Diaz goes out like this. So I would not be surprised if he comes back at the end of this season and then uh, is still around next season going strong yet.
0: Yeah, he's, what, 34? 30 five 36 right now 30, oh my goodness he turned 30, so he's, 36 march 31st so he's he's newly 36 definitely interesting to see how he comes back from that injury yeah and the good news was it wasn't an elbow surgery uh, kind of thing yeah right?
1: i mean that's so. what shoulder inflammation i mean those we, I've, I've seen those that uh that have no impact and i've seen guys have setbacks and all those things from the shoulder inflammation is kind of an ambiguous one you don't necessarily like that but uh you know it would be a shame for a guy who hasn't been hurt in his whole career to uh they go out like this so i'm i'm hoping that this isn't uh isn't the end of him um as far as other players i gotta check uh where's montreal here he had a second baseman that was just ripping it up early in the season charles martin who is this guy and where the heck did he come from i mean he's hitting 329 361 472 he's slashing right now his eight ops is 833 and that's actually he actually slowed down quite a bit from uh from where he was at at the end of april <laughs> and uh and yet his team kind of is in the toilet at the moment it's just been a weird a weird year on a lot of fronts that way
0: what is your take on montreal is this are they, are they going to bounce back and actually be a serious competitor he might not lose a single game after the all-star break
1: you heard it here first folks um no i mean john i think john's a really good gm like, I'm basically fearful to trade with the guy now because he just wins everything that he does. So if he decides to trade a few pieces, I'm sure he will do amazing with it. And in two years, he will be right back to where he has been.
0: So what's your take on the big flurry of controversy on the on the latest Yellow Springs deals? Not that I have any <laughs> stake in the matter.
1: Uh, which flurry of controversy are you referring to? The, uh, the Edmonton
0: deals? Yeah, the deal where Ted and Stu have uh, teamed up. To beat up oh, on yes, poor little yes, poor yellow little Yellow
1: springs. springs yes, and your yes constant Landis uh, appearances and all that other stuff. Um,
0: I don't know. I mean,
1: this deal hinges on Lopez. Like Saucedo's a good player. He's basically developed. You know, you can probably justify leaving him down in AAA this year. But if somebody gets hurt and you want to bring him up, you can do that. He's ready to play. He doesn't have a position yet, which kind of hurts his chances of being an immediate impact guy but he's a good player and he's young i mean that's a that's kind of a foundation piece at a key defensive position and i mean lopez is I don't know what is Lopez like. Depends on how you feel about guys out of the international complex. I don't always trust them because I've had him not work out more often than not. But if he does work out, that guy's a great center fielder. But when you're Edmonton and you've got six great center fielders in your system already, you can probably spare those guys. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, I was I was earlier on trying to trying to find uh, one of the others that I might be able to work out, but Brandon appeared not to be interested in discussing. Yeah. <laughs> in I mean, discussing I... those, but uh, yeah, I, I I agree. I think it completely falls on Lopez. And if Lopez uh, keeps his ratings, then, uh, then uh, Yellow Spring should look uh, pretty strong on that deal. But um, like you, I've, I noted on the board, I've, I've had a, a few of those really nice-looking guys that turn out to be worse, uh, worth uh, less than the dust yeah. that I paid for them and uh, had a couple others that have... Uh, kind of been foundations of the team so uh, but I definitely understand uh, Ted and Stu's point of view anytime that you see a guy with a whole lot of stars beside his name moving that's a yeah that's a I mean one.
1: what do you do you know I I, I don't know that I would have made that deal if I was him but you know if he needs a first baseman Jose Gonzalez you could do a lot worse than that guy Fabres, yeah I mean he's a six contact right he plays good defensive catcher which is good Jenkins is nothing Nagabin, I'm infinitely distrustful of 876 pitchers. I don't know what it is about them, but they're always terrible for me. I think this guy will be, uh, if he can get his stamina to five, I think he'll be an amazing reliever conversion someday. But just as he is right now, I don't love him. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think he won the deal, but I don't know. Like I said, if he, uh, he's got depth there and if he thinks that Lopez is the guy he needs, then I understand why he made it.
0: Uh, enough about all of this stuff. Let's talk about Mexico City. Open up all all of your treasure chest <laughs> of super duper top secret Mexico City master plans and let us know exactly what we need
1: oh, to be prepared I've get, for. I've got a whole uh, a whole pitching staff in AAA that's ready to come up. Uh next year probably i mean i had fam up to start the season but he was miserable in the majors i mean seven starts he was on six with a 664 era put up almost a full negative war i sent him back down to triple a and he's had four starts there and he's pushing a 185 era and a 0.95 whip so i mean he's fully developed at 987 he's got his two of his pitches uh he's got a nine slider and a 10 changeup that's fully de- that are fully developed in a fastball it's seven out of nine I mean, the stamina's is not where you would like it to be, but he's going to be a good player. He just wasn't quite ready this year. Uh, Pedro Pedro Rocha is a bumper uh, who's looking pretty good. Um, he'll be nine seven eight. Um, I mean, Gerard Wagner's probably a reliever, but he'll be an 11 7, 7 reliever with two nine pitches and 11 stamina. So it's a closer that can pitch every day that throws 100. So I got a lot of guys there. And then in the field, I'm waiting on Jerome Delage. I got him in a trade for with Phoenix. I sent um, Jose Trujillo. I sent over there, and he's—I mean—he's an innings eater. He's a good player, but I, it was an opportunity for me to get a bat in the middle infield that I was weak on. And you know, if he—if he fully flushes out, he'll be eight-eight-eight-six-seven and play a very good second base. You know, that's kind of a cornerstone piece that I've got. I've been waiting on. So if I'm hoping that he develops in the next couple of years, and then I'll be ready to to hit the gas on uh, on getting after it here. I'm chasing you guys down.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm uh, definitely feeling some heat from you guys, and I don't know if people are. Quite yet sleeping on Mexico City. I know Omaha was kind of a pick, but they're they're going to be fantastic. I, obviously, <laughs> poor Justin just had all those yep. all those injuries, but that that's yeah, a short term kind of, thing. Kind
1: of fell on um, when year, you but... when
0: you went about putting together your, I mean, you're talking about the rotation that's coming up. I mean, you've got a nice young rotation in the majors mm-hmm. right now, but it kind of came from a bunch of different directions. When you sat down a year or four ago and started to really kind of revamp and rethink at that time the Omaha barnstormers, is this how you envisioned it all coming together what was the what was the thought that brought all these players uh, into one place? Is it a matter of kind of fortunate opportunity that opened up, or is this exactly yeah how i mean you it's kind of it? uh...
1: It's kind of an opportunist thing. In 2030, I've sucked up a bunch of the uh, college free agents that ended up back in the pool. You know, I did the stew thing. I pulled up all those weird guys that, you know, maybe aren't naturally in the game and sucked them all into my system. And I've actually gotten quite a few bumpers out of there that have really helped me out with this up and coming class. So that was a big one. Um, But just generally, like my theory on trying to trade for guys and everything, I always do better with pitchers than I do with hitters. And I don't know why. But last time when my team got good, after I rebuilt, I came up and I had Juan Pablo and I had like, 12 pitchers and then just traded those guys around for the other pieces that I needed. And that's probably what my plan is going to be now. You know, I've got a little tinkering to do yet uh, with a few positions, um, you know, but my lineup's probably going to look pretty similar in a couple of years to what it is right now. It's just a matter of who is going to make my rotation, who's going to be in the pen and then who's going to get moved between now and then. So um, I, my rotation has been pretty solid this year. Pendleton's kind of having a, a slow start to the season, but I, uh, I'm not real worried about him in the long term i think he's gonna pick it up and my team as a whole like i talked to ted and then my team was just terrible in april i don't know what's going on with that but my offense has been pretty good pitching's been okay i think that uh we're gonna have a pretty good second half to the year here and make a little noise in the division hopefully start climbing out of the basement
0: well you're already out of the basement as far as that goes yeah right i mean you're sitting there at what uh 24
1: and 31 half a game behind omaha right now yeah there
0: you go it's interesting to take a look at the division and I guess I'm going to twist it a little bit and let's talk a little bit about comparing the Heartland and the, upstart johnson league atlantic i don't know if you can call it um, upstart
1: i mean tyler's won two of the last three landis championships i know i don't need to tell
0: you that yeah <laughs> yeah let's not let's not revisit those past wounds but i look at the rest of the division right i mean atlantic city uh, had the big free agency class a couple of years back and they're still hanging strong rockville is driving to the top charm city is is certainly no worse than they have been. lost a lot
1: in the off-season. They're still a very strong yeah he had a rough club. offseason i think
0: yeah, he had a rough off season, but they're they're still a dangerous hmm. club. You know, and then uh, it with Brooklyn and Allen, you never know what how, how that's going to work out. Montreal is on the bottom, which nobody yeah,
1: would have predicted. Nuts.
0: Um, you know, you start looking at the depths of of that uh, division, and Nashville with the new GM, that's always a wild card, but seems like, you know, seems like Brett is going to be a real strong player. That's an interesting division to, to watch. I still think the Heartland is in my uh, in my academically inclined opinion with no emotions attached whatsoever is the strongest division. But I'm thinking the Atlantic is going to be very interesting. Yeah, to watch I agree.
1: Um, I was trying to look. Atlantic City is a better team than I thought they were. I didn't think they were going to do anything this year, but they, uh, they've got some good pieces in place. I still think that they're not quite as good as their starts uh, suggests. You know, his pitching's not very good. His offense is carrying him a long way right now. I think he's hitting very well situationally, and I don't know how long that's going to last him. So I think that he'll fall off. I think that Jacksonville with his offense and Rockville and Charm City are kind of the class of that division. And, you know, like I said, whatever Montreal is going to do in the second half of the season, which I think all of the rest of those guys should be terrified about personally. I mean, they're they're a good division, but I do think just based on team trajectories right now that we're a little bit stronger than they are. I mean, you're, you're kind of, you and Stu are kind of the top two established. Chris is always creative at holding on. Like he's always up there. I don't feel like he's ever had very many years when he, uh, when he's been not competitive. And I know that's kind of his style. And I really, <laughs> I kind of envy that because I tend to bail on that way too early. I mean, twin cities has got Wareham and he's got man and you know, he's got the pitching. Um, you know, really the only one that's like kind of on a downward angle right now. You could argue that Madison's plateaued, but the only one that's really kind of trending down is Des Moines. As a, as a division, we're still we're still trending upward for the most part.
0: Yeah, and I think Edward is a strong uh, strong GM. I think he's going to right the ship and make it back to competitiveness. But it's a tough division to it become is. competitive in. And uh, Chris is interesting in that sense. Uh, we were talking about last night. <laughs> for those listening in. Uh, we were trying to record this last night but due to my own technical problems and nothing having <laughs> to do with Fred's uh, uh, jinx uh, we ended up having to delay a, a day and we talked a little bit last night about the skill set that it takes to maintain versus build and uh, Chris is just a master at finding ways to keep his team performing well it's really been fun to watch him
1: yeah and it was the same thing I mean earlier in the when when he had um when he had cricket and he had popper when those two guys like I mean he was like he was shoring it up spit and duct tape and whatever he could to keep that team propped up for a few more years. He was doing it and it was working. Like
0: In that sense, let me segue to a question around uh, Mexico City and, and some of the things you've done on contracts, right? Because I look at your contracts bringing Felipe Baez in and extending Estrada. Those are extremely interestingly structured contracts with big front ends as a uh, pre-tax, in a sense, for hopefully longer-running, uh, cheaper deals. Is that something... It, it, did you kind of plan yes. that out? Is that in your yep, overall salary structure? I, I do that reward? whenever I can possibly.
1: Like when my team, when most of my team is cheap, and I got two or three guys I need to pay, I will always pay them thirty million on the front side because I I am terrified of the cap uncertainty on the back side. You know, a lot of guys will backload deals or do the player options and everything. I try to avoid those like the plague when I can because you know the last thing you want is your key guy and your whole plan to just after two seasons be like, well I'm gonna go to free agency now and get eight hundred million dollars. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I did it with Gomez when I extended him when he was still with me. And the offer that I actually gave him this off-season was, was very front-loaded, too, kind of similar to what Aaron ended up doing with him. But yeah, I mean, Estrada, for the last four years of that, he's at eight and a quarter million. Like, you can't hardly argue with that. And Baez is the same way, you know. Worst case scenario, they're super tradable deals after the first two years. So it gives me a lot of flexibility on the back end to either add to my team or to move those guys out as I need to. So if I have a choice, you will always see heavily front-loaded deals on my team.
0: Yeah, and it probably makes some some pretty good sense. I mean, you clearly have your payroll under control at what is it, sixty? Yeah. 60- yep five-ish. Your budget's up over a hundred. Probably when, when you're running to uh, to compete, you want to get that up to 110 plus if you can, I'm sure. But that's interesting when you've got that kind of a gap between your payroll and your budget. That gives you an awful lot of uh, freedom for doing that kind of one-year big deal. It's really similar to the things that we were doing back when we had the old EBA and uh, you'd find some teams like Madison paying $60 million yeah, well, I mean, it,
1: You can argue that it worked out for him. Like, yeah, as much as I Anything like yeah. that can work out. I, th- I think he did well with that deal. He did well enough, anyway. It may yeah, have but I mean, you look, look at Atlantic City right now. I mean, you're just talking about him being second in the division. Like, how 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 much flexibility would he have if he wasn't paying, um, paying his two guys that he's paying, uh, Correa and Lopez? Yeah, you know, those guys are 32 this year, 25 next year, 22 the year after that. You know, like, geez, that's... <laughs>
0: Yeah, and he's getting almost kind of a a perfect storm, worst Mm -hmm. case there, because Lopez has fallen.
1: He's a reliever.
0: And actually, Korea is struggling at this stage, uh, ratings-wise, too, so I think he's rolled the dice, and he's come up pretty good in the front end of that, but that may end up costing pretty heavy in the end. Only time will tell, of course, but... All righty. Let me, uh, let me go to the ever infamous lightning round questions, right? And I'm going to try to drive you to a couple of quick answers. And then at the end, I'll turn that around and, and uh, you can ask me whatever you'd like to ask me and I'll pretend all I right. know what I'm talking about. First, probably most difficult lightning round question of all. Can you actually pronounce the name oh, of my your ballpark. ballpark?
1: No, I can't. I... Um... The name of my ballpark is based on the Aztec game that everyone knows where the, it's like basketball, you know, where the hoop's on the wall on the side and you got to get it through the hoop. Like it's, it's topical for me, but there is no way in heck
0: I can pronounce that. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to have to actually try to internet that down. What do you, what do your friends and family think of this I don't BBA care. thing? <laughs> my, my, my wife
1: thinks it's ridiculous. Even tonight when I came down she was talking to my kids and she's like, daddy's got to go talk to a guy about fake baseball. <laughs> I've, I've got a few guys uh, I got a few guys at work that I talk to about it, and they mostly just roll their eyes at me. Like, most people just think it's fantasy sports, and I just kind of let them think that until they start asking more questions. And I'm like, no, my team's Mexico City. Like, we're pretty good in the division. You know, a couple years will be all right. And, you know,
0: then it's like down the rabbit hole. Occasionally, I'll say something to my wife about, hey, my team's <laughs> leading the division. And she'll say, you mean you're a fake team? I said, well, there's nothing fake Real about it. <laughs> and she'll say, well, yeah, I'm fake happy know. for you. <laughs> Best moment in Omaha or Mexico City? Oh, I got to look history. it up now.
1: Um it was the year I traded for Jonathan Archer at the trade deadline. It was it 2022? I made a big trade with Halifax to bring him in. Um I was 16 and a half games back of Stever and Huntsville in the division and we ended up winning the division in a playoff game. In 163, I caught him from April 21st to the end of the year. We made up 13 and a half games and I caught him.
0: Oh, I would just think that it, that nearly catching Kyle would be oh, more than yeah, enough that. Like was that was number 1. Okay.
1: Top two former gms you would like uh, to see number come two back for me is chris Robillard. he was the gm of halifax for a long time he actually won he had a triple crown winner on offense when he was there and he won i think two landis trophies i always like chris him and i made a few big deals i traded him steve hoffman in my second year don't talk to wilson about that but uh <laughs> yeah i traded him I traded him Hoffman and then he traded me Archer and then kind of got out of the league. He was back in the EBA for a little while and uh, then we haven't heard from him since. And uh, I mean, the first one, the guy I want back is the guy that everyone loves to hate. And that's Stever. Um, I was never more. I never cared about the league more than when Stever and I were good at the same time and we were in the same division and he hated everything about my team. It was just awesome. You know, I got all righty slap hitters, and he's the big left-handed whole left-handed lineup with guys that get on base, and just to beat him with the lineup that he just despised was just the best thing for me. I loved it. I loved being a thorn on his side. Yeah, and I I like. I hope he comes back. Uh,
0: What is your biggest annoyance with either OTP or the BBA? What could what's the one thing you would change about your zero buyout
1: player options? That is the biggest the biggest thing. Ted and I talked about that when we did the podcast uh, about the free agency thing. And that's just, I mean, I understand like the game lets you do them. Um, but especially when they're backloaded, $0 team options, that, uh, that just kind of drives me nuts. Yeah,
0: that should be fixed that's, with 19, So that'll be good. Worst decision you've made in the past year?
1: The Gomez contract in the offseason. I panicked when I saw Estrada need an extension. So I kind of shortchanged my Gomez offer a little bit. I shortchanged my Bias offer, too, but he ended up taking it but I ended up offering him like six years and it just wasn't quite what Aaron offered him. I could have had him. I could have paid him more. I could have done it and I could have had him and Baez and had Gomez back and, you know, parades and all that crap. But I, uh, but I chickened out. He's 10 Ks away from being my career leader in, in strikeouts. Like I got to get him back, even if that's, that's a reliever when he's 40.
0: righty. Well, you've made it through the lightning round. So I will turn the, turn the questioning mic over to you and let, let you me grill you for a for moment. A moment.
1: Uh, what do you think of the overall defensive trend in the league? Where do you think it's going? What do you think it is right now? What's your take on on kind of the way it is?
0: Oh, boy, that's a that's a huge question. <laughs> I think, uh, first and foremost, I mean, anyone who says that they actually know exactly what's going on with OOTP defense is uh, probably way too confident. I don't, I don't think OOTP defense actually works in ways that people completely can can relate to real-life baseball, which is one mm-hmm. of the problems that we have. Um, I think that actually where we're at right this minute, in my mind, for most of the quality positions, right, the center fielders and the shortstops and so forth, is that when you look at the ratings in the league, I think there's very few people who are really punting defense in some of those places. There are a few. Um, I was looking at center fielders two or three nights ago, right? You look at the zone ratings going on and the ratings that are uh, creating those zone ratings. Ultimately, what I think we really have are uh, almost all center fielders have Mm -hmm. nines and tens, right, as ranges. Uh, and they differentiate in their kind of second sidecar ratings to some degree. But as a general rule, most of our center fielders are between right now roughly a, a plus four zone rating to minus four or five zone rating, right? I mean, you've got about a gain's worth of, of differentiation in defense. Uh, But it's almost mostly random when it really comes down to it. And you start getting into that really what I find cool question of looking at a nine uh, range and you get 10 guys that have nine range, which ones are at the top of that and which ones are at the bottom of that. They all all look the the same, but they perform differently. So in, in a lot of ways, you're playing stats only at that level. And I think defensively, that's kind of where we're at right this minute. The extremely interesting question, part of that question to me, is what's going to happen as a lot of these last couple of years um, draft classes come to fruition, where you see especially a bunch of outfielders with two right. and three ranges that's uh gonna make some extremely interesting general yeah. management decisions yeah and i
1: mean i don't know that like that i'd say a lot of guys are punting defense but you know like even look at your team like De castillo with his seven range at short you know like that's that's not a guy that mm-hmm. uh that i'd love to have playing short for me and madison's back to playing mons raider at second and draper at short draper's got six range you know raiders mm-hmm. raiders range issues are uh, are well documented you know and i i everyone everyone laughs about my smoke and mirrors and my uh my slap hitters and everything but i'm like you know if you guys are going to keep putting guys out there that maybe can't feel their position i'm going to try and get as many guys that can just whack the ball around the infield as i can and i'll roll the dice with that i am perfectly content to just let my guys go out and hit 300 i don't have any any opposition to
0: that at all yeah and for example i think that's an interesting question right because when you look at shortstops DiCastillo is on the low end mm-hmm. of acceptable as far as that goes, and if he if he wasn't the hitter that he was, there's no way he could stay in the league. But he's a guy who can put up um, you know three to four WAR out of the shortstop slot, which means that you can deal with this glove, and then it, you, you get into really fun you know full team composition, right? Because you can make an argument that if I had a stronger defensive shortstop, my pitching staff would right. be much stronger. I can also make an argument to say that I've got this really super strong pitching staff, so I can deal with a little bit of a defensive problem. Uh, I love listening and watching the board and hearing people talk about what they're doing because there are so many different approaches to take. And this league is full of uh, general managers who are very opportunistic around the idea of trying to make do with the strengths mm-hmm. that their team has. Uh, so I think that's uh, one of the most interesting things about this defensive question, because I would love for Deacon <laughs> to have a nine range. That would that would make my whole decision on how to right. extend him out <laughs> a whole lot easier. <laughs> But now I have to look at, you know, the prospects that I've got coming up that are much better ranges and try to decide how long his bat is going to be able to make uh, his uh, lack of defense on shortstop work. And so ultimately he'll have to move to second. There's almost no yeah. question about that. Um, and when I put him at second, he'll be a much better overall pick uh, player because uh, McNeil has to move to first. He doesn't have right. the range to play second every or day. Or any, any day. Oh, he can play yeah. at moments, right? When you can put up a nine-war season, that's, you can play that's, that's 20 true. games at I'll give you that.
1: <laughs> you can play 20 games anywhere if you're going to put up nine-war.
0: Yeah. Now, he's not going to put up a nine-war season every year, but he, if he can put up six-war, he can play second base for 20 yep. games a, a year, and I'm, I'm happy with that. But that having been said, yes, he needs to move to first base, which is among the reasons why I traded Gonzalez, because I'm not sure where my prospects right. were going to come up. Uh, this the, To me, that whole question about defense strikes right to the core matter of uh, team composition. You know the the breadths of the world and you guys are very deep in valuing defense and I definitely would like to value defense, uh, but you know I, I was playing with the with the cards mm-hmm. that I had to begin with uh, the McNeils and the Lalouches and the Chavezes were on my rosters somewhere in my organization on the day yeah that I took the team well i mean over. if
1: you're gonna get a guy that's gonna strike out 200 if you got three guys it'll strike out 250 guys a year you know maybe the defense is not big a deal because you're not going to be dealing with as many balls and play as like my team over. i got where i don't value stuff quite as highly because i do try and put good defense behind them you know i just want guys to keep the ball on the ground like there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces in that whole equation and like you said that makes it interesting that makes philosophies better because guys value guys differently and
0: but usually i will say that as soon as i see a team that is really struggling at a place where somebody said that they're not supposed to struggle the first thing mm-hmm. i do is i look at the defense and you know because that's kind of the hidden invisible yep. poison pill Babbitt. check the babbit it's not all about luck there you go so let me ask you one more question uh you've been here now for this is your 18th season in the league uh what is it that you love the most about this league what's the What's the draw? Well, for you?
1: first and foremost, I mean, Brett and I are, are very good friends. And uh, I always joke that if one of us quits the league, we just can't be friends anymore. We just won't talk about anything else. but I just I don't know I just I've learned a lot I'm not a baseball guy and this is the only thing I've ever done in OOTP so like I've learned a lot just about baseball in general and about the game just from kind of reading the boards and you know I'm not always super active commenting on stuff because I don't feel like I've got a lot of like helpful insight on you know the differences between guys OPS plus and whatever else you know that's so far out of my realm it's not even funny but I just uh, I've learned a lot and I really uh, I'm really addicted to all the passion that you guys all show on the boards it's a lot of fun for me to to just kind of learn and and play along and then be able to compete with you guys and put a winning team on the field with what i feel is no expertise so i have a lot of fun with it and uh i don't i don't anticipate that that's going to be changing anytime real soon so
0: i think that's like a a great end quote to bring this all to a close let me say thanks for coming out here this evening and um, we'll have to get together and do this again I'm, i'm happy to be back anytime you want me back The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Reckenwald, and competed in by 28 outstanding GMs. You can check us out at montybrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. I hope you loved it as much as I did making it. My thanks to Mexico City GM Fred Holmes for his patience with me as I got my act together. Music is Cool Piano by Tagirius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Be safe and always remember, don't trade with Louisville.